sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Scott Fuger. We are going to be talking about Iron Man Extremis by Warren Ellis, and hopefully I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Addie Granov, who is the artist on the art. But before that, I want to quickly make a little personal announcement here. I have started working on the fan-sided website, Whatever a Spider Can, as an editor, so Basically, it's actually a site expert position, but really it's just an editor position, and it's an all-Spider-Man website, so I'll be talking about the movies, the comics, the TV show, which apparently is going to be ending shortly on Disney XD, so, you know, might not have as much TV stuff coming up, but... I certainly plan to get the site going again. I just launched that last week. So if you want to check it out, I'll have a link in the show notes. And I want to let you all know that today's episode is also sponsored by Loot Crate. You can head over to trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdompod. That'll be in the show notes. And if you use code BRIDGE10, you'll get 10% off. Again, also will be in the show notes. So you don't have to remember any of that. But I'll tell you guys a little more about Loot Crate and what they're offering about halfway through this episode. But right now, Scott... How excited are you to be talking about this Iron Man story arc? I'm really excited, you know, kind of, I, this is my first real um, encounter with Iron Man, I guess, outside of, you know, just knowing who he is. And I think I saw maybe the first movie or two, um, but, you know, I tend to go through Marvel Unlimited, see what's kind of popular, maybe Google best character runs and stuff, and this seemed to be towards the top, and I really enjoyed it, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, we did our episode before on Marvel Unlimited, where we sort of broke down the service and went through what we liked and didn't like about the service. Not necessarily didn't like, but just what we thought they could improve on in the app and everything like that. And honestly, I haven't read too much Iron Man, really. I feel like I've read quite a bit of Spider-Man and then it's sort of all over the place with some newer characters like Miss Marvel and Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and we have, you know, All New Wolverine which is a female Wolverine. So <laughs> it's not some of the more typical stories that I've been reading or even some of like you said these, you know, best of runs on certain characters. So when you suggested this, I was like, yeah, no, I can get into that because I haven't read too much about the character, even though with the movies and everything, obviously Iron Man's fairly well known these days. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess if this was also kind of like, you know, a literal physical rebirth as we'll get into afterwards, but it was kind of a rebooting of the series as well for Marvel. So you know, it makes sense to start here in the modern age, I guess. Yeah. And why don't we go ahead and just start off with issue one? We don't necessarily need to break this down issue by issue, but I think issue one really sets the tone for what to expect in this story arc, because it doesn't necessarily feel like an Iron Man story. You have a lot of time with Tony outside of the suit, and that includes an interview he does with John Pillinger, who is a documentarian. And it's sort of this tense interview, too, because you can feel Pillinger pushing back every time he asks a question. And it's almost like Tony is on the stand in a courtroom, 
because he's just asking him question after question and basically Tony gets out a yes or no and never gets to finish his explanation or expand on any of his answers. The first time I read this, I was, you know, kind of, I couldn't really tell. Well, the first time I read it, actually, I, you know, felt like Tony had no idea what he was walking into when he, you know, agreed to the interview. But this time around, the second time, like I kind of quickly went through it before the episode, you know, he mentions, you know, that he like, really you know he's followed Pillinger's work and he like appreciates you know all the sort of um contributions he's made as far as exposing you know horrible things going on in the world but then he like questions you know the same way Pillinger is questioning him about you know whether his tech is actually good or whether it's just you know the majority of militaristic uses um Tony you know questions him like yeah you're really well known and you're spreading all this information but the average person doesn't really know that much about you and like have you actually made a change in the world so you know it's kind of an interesting like they kind of mirror each other or like in opposite ways um I thought that was interesting it kind of this time around made me think maybe Tony kind of had more of an idea of what he was walking into yeah, and we don't even see him suit up as Iron Man until the very end of the issue when he sort of just puts his suit on and takes off more so for fun than for any actual real purpose. It's like he just wants to get out and sort of fly around and forget about a bunch of things. And what I found really interesting about this is he ends up meeting up with Maya Henson, who is someone he met, you know, however many years ago in a pub. And she is also brilliant like Tony. So I think having the two of them together for a good chunk of this story arc too gives a little bit of a push and pull between the two characters because, you know, by the end, Tony's starting to figure out everything that's gone on with her because she hasn't given him the whole truth right at the beginning, but he just knows that she's in trouble. So it's, it's very interesting to see how psychologically too that all progresses between the two characters for sure um and yeah so i guess uh, you know summarize a little more um basically maya was the one who created the extremist um serum i guess would be a good word for it uh, yeah you know similar to the captain america super soldier serum you know trying to basically make something super powerful that's not going to be able to be stopped and you know whether that's for better or for worse as you know the story kind of goes on um i guess that the first big sort of event in the series is that you know someone did get a hold of the extremist serum and they used it on this sort of domestic terrorist and that's kind of what you know that's the trouble you mentioned maya getting into and needing to call tony for help yeah you mentioned it being like the super soldier serum and in a lot of ways it is, but it also kind of gives people these powers too. you know, Captain America, he has powers in a sense, but a lot of his are, you know, super stamina, super speed, super strength and those sort of things. But he doesn't, you know, like have fire come out of his mouth, <laughs> like the guy who takes the extremist strand or serum whichever way you want to put it and he just starts wrecking havoc everywhere he goes and it's sort of 
terrifying to see him and everything that he's capable of because it's like, okay, yes, Captain America is super strong and has a shield and everything like that, but how would he stop this guy too? So, you know, Tony has this idea in his head that he has to go this alone and he's the only one who has the solution for stopping him. And really it takes someone else with the extremists in them to stop him ultimately. Yeah. So another thing that like kind of stood out to me was the fact, you know, like the uh, extremists actually, you know, rewrites the kind of data centers of your mind. And, you know, the, I thought one of the coolest like parts of the artwork was when they first showed um, the, I'm trying to think of his name, (laughs) Malin, the guy who took the, extremist serum um like they showed him basically for the first i think it's like 24 hours or two days you know your body is like literally rebuilding itself you're like in a cocoon of scabs and you know seeing that and like the artwork for that was like is super detailed with like no words on the page and just you know i thought that was artwork wise that was where this really shined was you know the actual action portions of it you know yeah there were a lot of pages like that too so i'm glad you brought that up because the art really did stand alone in some places because there were times in the issues where you'd have a few pages with no words at all and it was just this visual representation of what was going on and i think that made the effects of extremists more powerful too because you're seeing this process happening and it doesn't need any words attached to it for sure yeah and like the first time that they you know showed him actually using the powers like when he started breathing fire it was like you know (laughs) super shocker like you weren't expecting that like you knew he was gonna be super strong and like obviously could tell he was you know a villain and stuff but you know that was like kind of the big surprise of that issue Yeah, and we briefly mentioned Tony having to deal with the military uses for his tech. And, you know, his reasoning behind that is, yes, I supplied the military with these things, but I did it to fund all of these other things that are more helpful to everyone else, not just the military, and that actually do some good instead of just, you know, being a weapons dealer, basically. And he also has to deal with learning what extremists is because he doesn't know anything about it going into this just like the rest of us presumably and as he's finding out more and more about it you can sort of see the wheels turning in his head as he's sorting through everything and like i said earlier him and maya are intellectually on the same level and he even says she's smarter than him at one point during the story arc so you have these two brilliant people and you can see Tony just trying to get better, but Maya's sort of stuck in one place because of this extremist serum. Yeah, I think it was, you know, really interesting the way they kind of played a lot of the characters against each other, not just, um, I mean, Tony and Maya, obviously, um, you know, Tony had the power, he had the technology, he had the money to do all these things. But like you said, he was kind of like haunted by his past and that kind of, you know, stopped him in a way. Um, Like the Iron Man suit, he was originally, you know, it was supposed to make people better, but it kind of turned into just like his pet project. And that's kind of also one of the things he has to deal with. Um, And then, you know, 
Maya had, she has like the skills, the smarts, the vision, but you know, she doesn't have the money to, like they say, you know, at one point she said, I could cure cancer in four years, but she doesn't have the money. So that's why she's been focusing on extremists. That's why, you know, there's like so many things that she knows she can do and she wants to do, but she just doesn't have the ability to the way Tony does. Yeah, and Tony only has that ability because he has been doing all of the military applications and everything like that just to get money to do those things. And she's doing the same with extremists, but she takes a turn when her and her boss basically let it be stolen. And, you know, it's out on display for everyone to see what can happen with it. But it's not in good hands like Tony feels his Iron Man suit is. So you have that. And then you mentioned the suit and everything. And I just want to make a quick note that they do a throwback to the very first Iron Man suit. And, you know, it's this real clunky thing and it doesn't look nearly as nice as the current suit or even what the suit looks like after Tony goes through the extremist process. So it's just a nice nod to everything that Tony has become since that first suit. Yeah, for sure. And like, I thought it was really cool also that they, you know, they did that, went through that origin story right after he had taken Extremis himself. You know, he yeah. he didn't have the power to defeat it on its own. So he took it. He literally became one with the suit. And, you know, as he was going through that healing process, his body was like regenerating itself. It was showing how he did that years before, like with the original Iron Man suit. And I thought that was, you know, a really cool kind of parallel. And, you know, it made the origin story feel like in addition to the story rather than like oh this has to be here just so you know everyone knows how it started but (laughs) here you go again just like we have to we have to do this like it really you know made it more of an original and fitting way to put the origin story in there yeah plus with iron man we haven't seen his origin story quite as often as a character like Spider-Man or Batman, who we've been bashed over our heads with their origin stories, basically, because it seems like we've had them in the movies so often, TV shows, comics, what have you. It They're kind of always there, even though maybe at this point they don't need to be. But with Iron Man, I know we saw some of his origin in one of the films and everything like that but the way they implemented it because he's in the process of going through extremists he can't do anything else he's literally like in this cocoon of scabs i believe is how maya described it and unless you just do a time jump like 24 hours later or however long it was i'm pretty sure it was only a day later because maya did mention that it was too fast of a process for him and it's supposed to take about 48 hours But instead, you sort of fill that gap with Tony having this memory of, or we get this flashback of Tony doing this for a specific reason, which is really to save his own life, because he has a piece of shrapnel stuck in him that's dangerously close to his heart, and he has to put together this magnet sort of thing to keep it in place and it's something slightly beyond my understanding <laughs> so it's one of those things where you're amazed at the lengths he goes to to save his own life and then 
he realizes he can save other people's lives, but he has to do these other things before getting there, which is what Maya realized as well. So there are certainly lots of parallels all over the place with, you know, Tony's origin, the Iron Man origin, basically, and even just between Tony and Maya themselves. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, the another thing we didn't fully dive into yet was um, the sort of origin of Malin. Um, he... I guess was basically it kind of went through it quickly, but he was kind of like part of a like domestic terrorism sort of compound when he was a kid or something. And uh, like the government was trying to, you know, put a stop to it and ended up, you know, shooting potentially his mother right in front of him. And um, so that was his sort of origin. And at, at one point, like during the final battle between Iron Man and him, you know, Tony's saying, like, he, he, uh, Malin says, you know, like, the government killed this one person, now I'm killing everyone else, and it was kind of like the opposite of what Iron Man did, where he had to kill people to save himself during his origin story, but now he's doing everything he can to save people's lives. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on what you think about Tony really becoming one with the suit, because in... I believe it's Iron Man 3, we sort of get more of the advancements that Tony has come up with with his suit. And it's one of those things where it's crazy how much he can do with the suit once it's basically tied into his brain function. (laughs) And you see that he really doesn't want to hurt Malin too, even though the suit can obviously handle it now and he can handle it physically as well. So you just see it in his eyes underneath the suit that he doesn't want to have to hurt this guy, but because he understands what good extremists can do and the other guy, Malin, refuses to, he'll do whatever is necessary to keep it in good hands and not someone like Malin's hands. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I think... Him, you know, getting that sort of like absorbent amount of power where he can essentially do anything. I feel like that is kind of what it's a big step in him coming to peace with his past. It's like now that he knows he can do anything and he decides, you know, he tries his hardest not to kill Malin. He, you know, it's kind of validation for him that like, yes, I'm a good person. I I might have done bad things in the past. My Technology might have horrible uses, but as a whole, I'm trying to advance the world. I'm trying to make the world a better place. I'm trying to save people's lives. I think it really, you know, just kind of hammered that home in his own head because that was, you know, in the first issue, he was like, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. And by the last issue, he's like, yeah, I'm, I've done bad things, but I can look at myself in the mirror tomorrow because I know I'm a good person. Exactly. You have in the notes here, too, about the pacing of the story and how you feel it's better as a trade instead of going issue by issue. And since, you know, we both have Marvel Unlimited, that's something that's obviously a lot easier to say using the app to read a bunch of stories. But I do agree with you that this story, it was more of a slow burn because it's not full of action in every issue. In fact, you know, in issue one, you don't really have any action until Tony takes the suit and flies off, which, 
you know, by my definition, isn't <laughs> isn't too exciting of an action scene. So what made you feel like this worked better as a trade? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the or like we said earlier, the action scenes, they really shine artistically, but, you know, they also don't have a lot of dialogue or exposition in that way. So I feel like that makes those scenes, you know, obviously you take the time to take it in, but it also kind of makes them pass quicker because there's not a lot happening other than the imagery. So I feel like that's part of it that kind of makes it, you know, feel like it goes really quickly. And then, you know, the other part is, like, there's obvious, there's obvious like, steps to putting the story together. I mean, with, with any story, there's, like, a beginning, a middle, end. But I feel like they kind of flow together more in the story, maybe. In, like, uh, but, I don't know, they, they kind of, like, you know, it slowly builds. It's, like, Iron Man. Uh, or it's like Tony, Tony being confronted with his past, you know, then extremists starting to happen. And then, you know, I feel like it's kind of, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm not speaking very well right now, but. Um. <laughs> I totally get what you're getting at, basically. And, you know, him and Maya actually go visit an old professor, I believe it is, too. And that's not, you know, the most thrilling of scenes or anything by any means, but it's important to the storyline because, you know, he makes all of these points. I believe his name was Sal. And Tony's just flying his jet everywhere, kind of showing off his jet and the fact that he can have his car taken anywhere via another jet, too. So <laughs> it's one of those things where it it feels like you know, if we were to have Better Call Saul or a show like that in comic book format, it would certainly be a slow burn every issue. But when you put it all together, it makes perfect sense. And the story mm. definitely feels complete. And that's how I feel with this. And, you know, there actually was a novel adaptation of this. So it would be interesting to see how long that is, because I feel like, like you said, a lot of the pages here don't have dialogue. And it was released as a novel to tie in with Iron Man 3 and go with, like I said, all of the updates to the suit there, even though it didn't seem quite as advanced as the comic book. But I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this in other comics-related podcasts that I've done. Sometimes you can't do exactly what the comic books show on the big screen or the small screen, because with comics, you're drawing on a piece of paper so literally anything an artist and writer can imagine together can be put down on paper. But the same cannot be said for film and television because you have to, you know, have these things either built as props or CGI or something like that. And it's a bit more difficult than just putting, you know, a pencil to paper and sketching out something and coming up with these crazy designs and these crazy things that the suits can do and everything. For sure. And also, like, I feel like this is kind of one of the skews towards the darker side of Marvel. You know, like the action scenes are pretty bloody at times. And, yeah. um, you know, that doesn't really jive with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It does a lot more with the Marvel Netflix universe, though. So there are certainly those shows that have that darker element to them. And while Iron Man isn't something I'm ever expecting to see on Netflix, you do get <laughs> glimpses of that in specifically 
Tony's fight with Malin too because that is just so brutal by the end it's actually really surprising how brutal it gets like you said you know it's a lot darker than a lot of things and you know this comic started back in 2004 so it's not going to feel the same as comics today and that can be said for pretty much any decade of comics if you go back and read the very first issue that Spider-Man appeared in, there's going to be a ton of dialogue in comparison to (laughs) today. And the same with the very first issue of Iron Man. So it's just one of those things where I kind of wish Marvel would just release like original graphic novels, which is something, you know, they put everything out in trades, but that's not quite the same because some publishers, it's mostly smaller publishers, they'll let writers and artists just publish a full comic in trade form basically and not have it release issue by issue and have that month-long wait and I don't know what comic book sales were like in 2004 but it's one of those things where you could probably get a lot more people to buy certain stories if you just release it all at once for sure yeah I think you know like you kind of mentioned a comparison to like Better Call Saul or a really like character driven show I think yeah like that's part of what drew me to this once I read it but yeah like you said definitely those things you know like a lot of tv shows like that lend themselves to being binge watched like this comic I think definitely lends itself to being read in you know sittings close together rather than or just one (laughs) yeah yeah so I definitely uh, yeah I think it would be better as it would work more as like a cohesive piece rather than as like six separate pieces yeah and I pretty much read this in one sitting I definitely read it all yesterday and we're recording this on Tuesday January 16th here so I read the whole thing yesterday whether or not I took a break here and there just because I was in the middle of something else or what have you that probably happened but still getting through it in one day made it I feel like more memorable memorable too because you get everything all at once and it just sort of has this big impact by the end and I know this creative team isn't on issue seven and going forward so I don't know if I'll continue reading the run or not but it's definitely a great mix with this creative team because you know we already talked about the art a bit but what do you think about Warren Ellis's writing on this? Yeah I really enjoyed it I thought You know, like I was saying before, there's, I feel like there are really good, you know, parallels between the characters and, like, kind of growth within each character's arc. Um, You know, I think pretty much all of the characters had kind of, like, they had intention, they had good intentions, but they had, you know, some sort of issue that, you know, stopped them from being fully realized. Um, Like, Tony had, he has, like, the power, he has the ability to do kind of anything he wants but he's kind of scared or he's kind of you know haunted by his past he has a hard time you know coming to terms with the fact that his stuff has been used for you know horrible things um and then you know Malin once he took the extremist he kind of had get all the power he could have you know he could have been doing the same stuff Iron Man's doing you know trying to save people and trying to you know use his powers for good but he had kind of the wrong 
he had malice behind it. He had the he had like he had evil intentions. Um, and then you know, like I said, Maya has she has like the skill, she has the ability, she has the vision. But you know, what's stopping her is the budgeting side of things. And then you know, even the documentarian Pillinger, he has like he has the vision, he has he has the knowledge, he's able to like show that to people, but he doesn't really have the power to influence the world. You know, he can show the world what's going on, but he can't actually make a physical change himself. So, you know, I think it's really, you know, cool how all of these characters kind of relate to each other, but they all have their individual flaws that prevent them from fully realizing their dreams. Absolutely. Plus, what Ellis does is he pushes Tony to the edge. You know, he's literally on the brink of dying if he doesn't get the extremists in him soon. So it's one of those situations where, okay, we're, you know, four or five issues in at that point. Do you really kill off Tony Stark that soon into a <laughs> new Iron Man run? Yeah, that would be that would be pretty ballsy. <laughs> Yeah, it's only something I could see happening now that there's also Riri Williams as Ironheart and, you know, they've built up sort of a little Iron Man universe there. But back in 2004, you know, Riri Williams didn't exist. So then it's like, okay, what do you do with this character? Because, you know, the movies had started coming out and everything and... I don't know if they actually came out quite that long ago, but either way, you know, Marvel had this idea about a cinematic universe and this version of Tony really lends to that as well. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think kind of something that also that I thought was interesting in it, um, sort of every time I feel like what I know of Iron Man, like I said, my experience with it is kind of limited, but most of what I've seen, he's, like, he is Iron Man as to, like, he's Tony Stark and he's Iron Man. He's, like, kind of a public figure in that way. Um, but in this, at least up to this point, he was, you know, Iron Man was his bodyguard. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And one of the other, like, main characters I know of Iron Man is the alcoholism, which was kind of briefly mentioned. But I thought that was one thing I think, you know, they if this was kind of a longer arc that moved at kind of a different pace. And I think that would have been interesting for them to dive into that aspect of things and how it affected like the way he thinks about his past and his present and stuff. Yeah. And because I haven't read too many Iron Man comics, I don't know what happened leading up to this run because this was a fresh start on the invincible Iron Man. And you can tell something has happened with Tony because like you said, it's clear he was an alcoholic, but is not drinking anymore. And he's been spending a lot of time in the garage. So it's like, okay, what happened here to where he is acting this way? And, you know, Tony's always been a little odd, but he's also fairly outgoing in the movies too like he really likes the attention and here it's like he really doesn't but there's still that core to tony stark in him that we see throughout all of his appearances in the cinematic universe 
Well, is there anything else you want to talk about before I tell the listeners a little more about Loot Crate? So it's more at the end of the episode here because I totally forgot to do it midway through. (laughs) I think sort of the last thing that I had was just a funny tidbit that made it a little bit, made the run seem a little bit dated. Um, Tony was at one point talking to the other like high ups at, at Stark Industries and talking about how he'd been working on this fantastic new cell phone. And someone mentioned, oh, it'll make Nokia shake in their boots because <laughs> it was before the iPhone even came out. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap up right after I let you all know a little more about Loot Crate. So basically, Loot Crate offers a subscription box where you can get a bunch of different pop culture items. They have apparel, licensed gear. You'll get Funkos every once in a while or something similar to a Funko because now Funko has all of their own boxes and everything like that. But it's really great for the pop culture nerd in your life or geek if you prefer since this is welcome to geekdom and you can save 10 percent on any new subscription at trylootcrate.com forward slash geekdom pod and you enter code bridge 10 for that like i said at the top of the episode we'll have that in the show notes and everything so you don't have to memorize that and another one of the features that they offer within the box is for less than $20, you get six to eight items. So, you know, those items I mentioned, it's less than 20 bucks plus the shipping. And then you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific of every month to order that month's box. And you'll get a variety of things in there. It's not going to necessarily be a single theme for the box. So you'll get a good mix of things. And again, 10% off if you go to our link in the show notes here. So I just want to say thank you to Loot Crate for sponsoring the episode. My apologies that this was not in the middle of the episode, but we're going to wrap up with Scott now. Scott, did you overall enjoy the idea behind this story arc and how it was executed? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And, it, you know, starting with one of the best runs in the series, you know, I guess this, you might think, you know, it can only go down from here, but I'm definitely, I think I'll be looking into some of the other popular Iron Man runs because it did get me interested in the character more for sure. Yeah. And it helps when you have a familiar writer like Warren Ellis because he has done so much with various comics that, you know, it would kind of be hard to not know his name I feel like if you read comics at all especially if you read you know the big two DC and Marvel so definitely familiar and I had heard of the artist before too he's popped up here and there probably when I was adding a million things to my Marvel Unlimited <laughs> library yeah I'll definitely be looking into that as well because like I said especially those action scenes really blew me away and I'm not always super into art to the art as much as I am the storylines but um yeah I really enjoyed that as well yeah and like I mentioned this had been adapted into a novel which I might have to check out and see you know just how long that is and everything like that but it has been applied to some tv episodes with the animated shows and I believe it even came up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so this storyline has certainly had an impact 
on more than just this comic run. So it'll be interesting to see if we ever see another iteration of it or adaptation of it in the films because you know Robert Downey Jr. can only play Iron Man for so long here and if he has any additional suit upgrades I think we might be seeing those in Avengers Infinity War which is coming up. Yeah, I haven't really watched many of the movies honestly uh, lately but um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how things progress. Yeah definitely well I don't know about you, but I certainly plan on seeing Infinity War because pretty much everyone is going to be in that movie. Yeah, I probably should uh, play catch up at some point with uh, however many movies there are now. (laughs) Yeah, I think the only one I have yet to see is Doctor Strange, which I'm sure I'll do before the Avengers movie just because he appeared in Thor Ragnarok and I believe he's appearing in Infinity War in a bigger role. I actually did see that one, and I I enjoyed that. That was pretty good. Nice. Well, I definitely have something to look forward to soon then. But Scott, as always, thank you for coming on. And I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon for another topic here, because I know we have a few ideas that we've been tossing around. And it's always good to have, you know, some consistent guests on here to talk about a variety of things because you know we've done comics we've done the wonder years episode and who knows what we'll do next but again thank you for coming on thanks for having me of course and as always thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day